Hey folks, welcome to the Buckler Podcast, the Millennials Guide to the BRI. I'm your host, Enzo Kong. Now, I don't blame you if football is the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of Brazil. And indeed, we're going to mention a little bit about it in the episode. But more importantly, the focus here is the bread and butter of the Brazilians, agriculture. We're going to look at how Brazil's agribusiness has thrived as a consequence of BRICS and the BRI. We also discussed the current state of the Chinese investments in Brazil and the job and education opportunities offered by the BRI to the Brazilian youth. Ana Palazzo is the perfect guest for this episode. She not only has years of experience in strategic planning in the agribusiness industry in the Americas, but is also currently pursuing her master's degree in contemporary China studies in the Renmin University. She gave me great insights into Brazil's dreams and what the country needs right now. If you're interested to find out more, please enjoy the conversation. Hey, hello, Anna. It's good to see you. Thanks for coming. Hi, thanks for inviting me, Enzo. How are you doing? Good to see you. Great, great. How are you doing? I'm good too. Brazil and China, they go way back. And so the only problem I had when I was um, preparing my agenda was where do we even start? So, but um, if, if we were to um, point to a period of time, which is more important for the, for the trade relationship, I guess 2009 would be an important time. Um, because that was, um, it was um, from 2009 onwards, China has become the, the biggest trading partner of Brazil. And it was also the year when BRICS was established, which is the association of the five emerging economies um, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. So can you first tell us what is the legacy of BRICS and if it has delivered any substantive impact to the Brazilians? Sure, great. Well, uh, first of all, if we think about emerging market economies as a whole, more than half of global GDP growth uh, will, is expected to come from emerging market economies this by uh, uh, 2020. And over half of the world's population will be in, in those countries too, which is extremely correlated to the increase of food demand, especially protein, uh, sugar, processed food, and you name it. BRICS, specifically the, the economic bloc composed by Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, uh, it, it comprises about 30% of the world's GDP. Uh, 25% of the world's total land, mm -hmm. uh, more than 40% of the global workforce. And China alone was responsible for about, for over 35% of global GDP growth from 2017 to 2019. Uh, so it's just to contextualize the importance uh, that we have globally in terms of emerging economies and BRICS as well. Right. Uh, Considering a specific, a specific uh, arrangements uh, for BRICS in Brazil, uh, I guess I can mention the, the announcement of the BRICS Bank uh, in the 2014 summit uh, that was held in Brazil. Uh, and the, the, the BRICS Bank were officially opened in Shanghai in 2015. 
and also in the 2019 summit that also occurred in Brazil, um, there was about $8 billion in, in projects that were announced and structured uh, uh, for the, the BRICS economic bloc. Um, so those would be like uh, key figures considering BRICS and Brazil. And of course, uh, the <laughs> tremendous commercial relationship uh, within China and Brazil that we are going to talk about a little bit later. So since you've mentioned the BRICS Bank or the BRICS Development Bank, so it is actually quite an innovative financing solution because some would see it as an alternative for the World Bank. And apart from the BRICS Development Bank, we have also seen the Contingency Reserve Arrangement, which is seen as an alternative to the IMF. So can you tell us what exactly are those and how are they helping, for example, the agribusiness sector in Brazil? Great. Um, so in terms of uh, uh, financial policies uh, as a whole, I think uh, uh, everything that uh, it's proposed of being structured is extremely positive. Of course, uh, uh, we got to abide international rules in terms of risk policies, in terms of governance and, and all the legislations uh, that, might, that might take place in, in such an initiative. Uh, but considering the, the NDB, the New Development Bank or the BRICS Bank, as we want to call it, uh, it's a relatively new uh, uh, multilateral financial structure, uh, relatively still small. Uh, if we think that we have a capitalization about $50 billion, and by 2021, I guess uh, about $10 billion required uh, as uh, uh, paid in capital. Um, if we think about uh, the, the World Bank, uh, it's an institution, of course, uh, much more mature and with over $200 billion in, in terms of capitalization. Uh, but uh, in terms of initiative, uh, I guess it's a tremendous opportunity, uh, especially if we consider the BRICS economic bloc, which is composed of developing economies and not only developing economies, huge developing economies, and so uh, different between themselves, isn't it? Uh, the contingency uh, reserve uh, arrangement, or CRI, as we want to call it, um, is also a great tool. And uh, of course, China uh, has the, the, the chance, the opportunity to lead uh, both initiatives, uh, uh, in, in my opinion. The participation of China in the CRA, for example, is 41%. So it's the country who has the, the most economic capacity uh, to, to and, and robust capacity to, to lead both initiatives. Uh, China also issued like green bonds uh, in 2016 around that, uh, considering the NDB. Uh, it was over 400 million US dollars. It will depend on the uh, average of exchange rate that we are going to consider, but it was a, a great initiative, especially in terms of sustainability. And it was issued uh, in the Chinese Yuan as well. It was issued in Chinese Yuan. I guess it was 3 billion, uh, the, the conversion right. uh, in terms of Chinese uh, Yuan. So uh, it's pretty positive uh, in my point of view. Um, it, 
considering that my, my background, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, which is in, in the agribusiness industry, I guess, uh, and considering financial policies, which is uh, our subject now, uh, I would like to point another interesting initiative that it was held in Brazil, which is one of the, the BRICS countries, the economic bloc, uh, which is the barter operation. Mm -hmm. Um, just to, to contextualize the, the, the concept, uh, barter is an act of trading goods uh, without the use of any uh, uh, money or uh, monetary medians such as credit cards or anyone that you can think about. Uh, so basically considering the, the agribusiness industry in Brazil, uh, uh, in in a general terms, uh, barter is used to change agro agri inputs in exchange for production for agricultural production, especially if we consider grains. Okay, mm -hmm. um, this is extremely relevant for for our country and for the whole world, and especially considering BRICS and the relationship between Brazil and China. Uh, mainly because the, the, the grain sector in Brazil, it composes almost half of the country's gross production value. We are talking about uh, over $140 billion, and I'm basing myself here on average of exchange rate of 5.3, which was the, the average rate for the 2021 crop year in Brazil. And we are talking about over uh, uh, 60 million hectares, uh, uh, over uh, 280 million tons produced. Uh, so this is just to, for us to, to keep in mind the, the, the numbers, the, 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 the amount of impact of such policy in the country. Um, considering uh, uh, financial tools. Uh, this was primarily uh, um, created and structured, to, to, to say the, the most, uh, because the, the, the federal monetary system that we, we, we have in the, in the country uh, cannot fulfill 100% of the, the, the farmer's need in terms of loans. So the, the federal subsidized farm lowers fulfill about one third of farmers' needs. Uh, for the 2021 crop, we are talking almost uh, $5 billion, again, basing on the 5.3 conversion rate. And this is a characteristic of barter. You know, it's generally using in times of high inflation or tight money. Mm. So uh, uh, the private sector structured itself uh, to, to, to fulfill part of this need. So currently, uh, the, the, the federal subsidized farm loans fulfill about one third of the, the, the sector necessity. Uh, barter operations fulfill another one third. And the private banks, a variety of private banks that we have in the country, fulfill the other one third. Uh, so in terms of partnership, uh, between the, the, the private sector and the farmers. Uh, this is a very interesting example. Uh, such it is the initiative of the, the, the New Development Bank. And um, I, I'd like to point that such initiatives are complex. They have a variety of 
different commercial business models that can be run, um, but they are extremely positive in all the ways, whether we are talking about domestic market, agribusiness market, which is my background, or a global uh, uh, multilateral institution as it is the, the, big, the BRICS bank, the new development bank. And I can see that it, uh, Sparta is actually very well developed in the agribusiness um, industry. You have the farm product bond, which helps facilitate the cash forward contract for, for the production. So it's not as primitive as its name suggests. So, no. but, um, <laughs> but um, despite what we have talked about the long relationship between the two countries, um, one quite surprising fact is that Brazil actually has yet to officially sign up for the BRI. Now we can talk about the reasons later, which might include um, the lack of knowledge about the plan for, from the politicians or the private sector, but it would be a mistake to think that nothing has been going on in the ground. Because we have been seeing a lot of um, investments, a lot of projects involving Chinese investments in Brazil. And more importantly, there has been a lot of trade going on. And the most important sector would definitely be the agribusiness sector. So Anna, can you tell us about um, how important agribusiness is to Brazil and how important China is as a customer to the Brazilian farmers? Well, pretty great. Yeah, in terms of investments, you're pretty right. <laughs> we have from the past decade, almost 200 initiatives and almost $7 billion in investments in, in China and Brazil. So uh, it's pretty huge. But talking about <laughs> agribusiness, uh, uh, to give you some numbers of the sector uh, in our country, uh, in Brazil, um, it accounts for over one third of the country gross domestic product of the country's GDP. Um, about 35% of the formal jobs. Uh, uh, this may vary depending on uh, which sectors uh, you are considering, but about 35% of total jobs in Brazil are comprised in the agribusiness industry as a whole. And we, um, when we talk about agribusiness, it's not only about the farming or the agriculture, it's also about the marketing, planning, and, and all that. Yeah, mm. pretty good observation. It's a whole value chain. Goes from um, commercial activities, uh, planning activities, financial activities, right. um, marketing activities, um, uh, academic activities as well. Right. <laughs> and then you have the actual production of uh, uh, fruits and vegetables, grains, um, sugarcane, um, swine, poultry, beef, um, forest stream you name it and then you have the after after gate that we 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 commonly say here in brazil which are also activities of commercialization activities of international relations um it's a a whole world that's of, why it's of, making so many jobs that's why and 35 percent i'm considering this this whole uh, a bunch of uh, potential uh, industries that are involved in the mm -hmm. sector uh, on a global scale uh, we do have 22 percent of the world's agricultural land and with that we are positioned among uh, top three in terms of production and yield of major agricultural crops as 
we, we just mentioned before. So it's a, a pretty unique uh, uh, case in terms of productivity and sustainability as well. This, I think it's very important to, to highlight. Uh, there is a very interesting uh, study from FAO, the Food and Agriculture Organization, uh, that lists that by 2050, uh, the world will reach uh, 9 billion people. Uh, we currently have almost 7 billion, right. if I may not mistake it. Um, and for us to be able to feed 9 billion people, mm. Uh, our food production globally will need to grow by 60%. Mm. And Brazil alone will be responsible for 40% of its growth. So we are pretty much <laughs> the farm of the world. And you don't uh, have to worry about the demand. No, we don't have to worry about the demand. And not only the farm of the world, but also a key contributor uh, to guarantee peace in the world. There can be conflicts, I mean, with food, but there can be absolutely no peace without food. So this is certainly a key pillar to guarantee uh, security in, in our world. And we are pretty able and pretty ready to do that in a sustainable and productive way to the whole value chain. This is the most important, I guess. And I get that as it stands, China is um, a big customer for the Brazilian exports. So what, what kind of produce is China buying? Oh, great. Uh, so China uh, uh, imports about 40% of our total uh, uh, agricultural exports. And 60% of this volume is comprised by soybeans. Mm. So the majority is soybeans. Then we come um, and meat. Uh, as a whole, uh, especially if we consider like beef, poultry, um, and other other products as well. But sixty percent of the whole imports is soybeans because it's a key product uh, for for the the Chinese agricultural production as well. Um, you guys produce uh, uh, a, a vast uh, uh, amount of poultry of swine as well. Uh, so soybeans is the, the, the primarily raw material to, to sustain, to feed uh, your, your animal production as well. So. And unfortunately... And uh... It's interesting just to, to mention, to, to say that Brazil is one of the, the, the only countries who has a surplus in terms mm. of trade balance with China, when most countries, especially the US, for example... Of course have have deficits right. us deficits i guess it's over 100 billion dollars per year one of the reasons who motivated the trade war right. and, and and all that conflicts that we saw but brazil uh, although we do have uh, some criticism uh, uh, domestically considering the the characteristics of our imports to to mm. china is one of the only countries who has a, a surplus. And if you think about commercial strategy, we can go in different ways. Um, but uh, from my experience in different roles in the, the, the agribusiness industry, considering commercial and, and marketing roles, um, I think one of the most 
positive uh, is to deliver it what your client want. <laughs> this way, you are going to be able to generate a profit and development to both sides of the, the value chain. And of course, we can do variations. It's, it's good. You can and you should. But uh, primarily deliver it what is the need of your client. Um, I think it's a pretty good strategy. Mm -hmm. Now, what, what you've just mentioned is actually um, precisely what I want to ask is, so during the trade war under the previous U.S. administration, we have seen that the U.S. has been uh, pressuring China to buy more produce from the U.S. farmers, including soybeans. So how, how has that um, affected um, the business or the sales figures for the Brazilian exporters? Well, Enzo, uh, you know, I guess... Of course, considering trade wars, it's something that I might imagine no one would like to put right. a, no a, a trade war. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I, I don't see any long-term benefit coming from any trade war. Um, if we consider the example of the conflict between Russia and European Union around 2014, for example, uh, this benefited uh, uh, for a period of time, the exports of meat, swine, uh, mainly uh, from Brazilian growers. But then we started to, to suffer uh, sanctions by the, 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 by Russia because of the extremely uh, amount of swine of Brazilian swine meat that was being put on the on the Russian domestic market. So, um, I guess the the most important thing, if we consider uh, uh, China and Brazil commercial relationship, is how consistent it it, it, it's, it is and it's been throughout the years. Uh, Ten years ago, for example, China represented uh, less than thirty percent of Brazilian agricultural exports. Mm -hmm. A decade later, it represents uh, 40%. 40%. Uh, percent. So yeah, trade wars can happen now and then. <laughs> but uh, the most important thing is that uh, uh, Brazil as a country, uh, there is no other country who has the capacity to, to compete in terms of actual potential of production. Of course, China uh, is a great producer. Of course, US uh, is a huge producer as well and competes with Brazil, especially mm. if we consider corn yield comparison, for example. Uh, but uh, the, the consistency of our internal development in terms of agribusiness production and the consistency in terms of the relationship between Brazil and China, I think it speaks for itself. Uh, absolutely. I totally get your point. So now, still on the agribusiness um, topic, one thing that actually surprised me is that um, even despite all the trade that has been going on, um, the total investments from China in agribusiness only accounts for 3% um, out of all sectors from 2007 to 2020. So is there an angle here where there could be more room for Chinese investments into Brazil's agribusiness? And when we talk about investments, are we talking about new technologies for the production, which would enhance the efficiency or something else? It's very uh, uh, interesting to point uh, the growth of Chinese per capita GDP uh, in the past 
10 years, which is, was, was about annually about 90%. So this, again, is directly related to the increase in food demand and especially value-added products, sugar, uh, nuts, meat, uh, uh, processed food, dairy, fruits and vegetables. It's, there is extremely direct path considering uh, 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 income increase and more demand, uh, urbanization and more demand for uh, uh, value-added food products. Um, this speaks for itself because in 2019, for the first time, China imported more value-added food products, as we just mentioned, then commodities for the first time, the, the value added food products was higher, uh, uh, the volume was higher than the, the commodities, than the, the volume of imported commodities. So this is extremely, extremely relevant, uh, uh, mainly because China represents 40% uh, of our total exports, but Brazil only represents 15% of China total agribusiness imports. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> there is a whole world for us to, to explore uh, in terms of opportunities. Uh, um, I'd like to mention two. Uh, the first one would be in exchange knowledge of operational models for agricultural, agroindustrial, animal protein operation. Uh, if you see, if we see the uh, Brazil as a whole, uh, besides being a huge country, it has completely different characteristics. The production in the South is different from the one in Southeast, which is different from the one in Midwest, uh, from Northeast, from North, and you name it. Uh, and in all of them, uh, we are positioned uh, with great competitiveness. Uh, so uh, this would be a very uh, a, a, a huge opportunity of exchanging knowledge, uh, considering our capacity of uh, our adaptability and our resilience in terms of operating such models mm. uh, to, to bring this reality to the Chinese reality, to the Chinese business model. That's what I'm, I'm saying. Uh, there's a center which was launched in 2018, if I'm not wrong, which is China-Brazil Agricultural Innovation, um, which is mainly currently focused on, on tropical agriculture, which mm. is the, the majority that we have here in Brazil, but would be a great opportunity of uh, uh, adapting this, this uh, innovation center to the bringing Brazilian knowledge to and, ex and exchanging with the Chinese knowledge, for example, in terms of infrastructure, which is <laughs> absolutely amazing. So uh, it would be a great way. And of course, this might be the, the, the investments in operations models might be conditioned to a variety of factors. One uh, of them that could be, be be listed is the the ownership structure of uh, agricultural land, which currently uh, the the policy which currently takes places in China, mm. and I guess it's being under review. This would be a a key factor to boost investments, but I see as a huge window of opportunity. Um, the second one uh, would be in renewable fuels technology exchange. Um, Brazilian energy metrics uh, is almost half uh, composed by renewable sources, and the sugarcane bioenergy, which is 
agribusiness, which is my background, um, represents almost 20% of this total. So it's a tremendous deal uh, uh, in a concept which is so present uh, in, in Chinese discussions, in Chinese public policies discussions. Uh, uh, renewable energy, and especially uh, renewable fuels, uh, renewable energy as a whole um, has the, the capacity not, not only uh, uh, to, to, to bring a more sustainable path, but doing that in a positive uh, economic way as well, generating jobs, generating technology, clean technology. So this would be another uh, key pillar of exchange between China and Brazil, besides everything that we're talking about, besides commodities, besides soybeans and this, this, this huge uh, commercial partnership. I see these other two, two points as huge windows of opportunity. If there is one group of um, people that is not seeing such a rosy picture, picture it might be the manufacturers in Brazil. So some um, some people have mentioned that it is because of the cheap um, Chinese manufactured imports that the Brazilian industrial sector has been um, declining. Do you think that's a fair assessment of what's happening? No, I totally don't. <laughs> Again, in considering this matter, um, I think that what the, the, the problem is not China, it's not USA, it's not whatever country you want to mention. The problem uh, is the, the, the changes that we got to do inside Brazil. Um, and here I'm talking of uh, uh, continue the path of controlling public, public expenditures, uh, mainly reducing the, the public indebted, indebtedness ratio versus GDP. Um, which if we considering um, the the decade from um, mainly 2010 until 2017, it got a path of growth that it was like uh, unpredictable, totally uh, uh, uncontrolled, uh, and this is not sustainable to any country. So that's the first thing that Brazil uh, 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 needs to continue its path uh, uh, that's been structured in the past three years or, or so of controlling uh, this, this uh, debt ratio versus GDP. Mm -hmm. The second one uh, is the reforms that need to be run inside the country, especially talking about uh, administrative and tax reforms. And of course, there's a lot of discussions, a lot of point of views. Uh, um, we got to do it, uh, listen to, to the whole uh, parts of the society, but we got to do it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we will never be able uh, to control this, this public expenditures, uh, uh, simplify the country's uh, uh, tax structure, which is extremely uh, important to boost uh, entrepreneurship, reducing cost of production, generating more jobs. This is the second point. So <laughs> definitely China is not the problem. <laughs> we got to solve our domestic product problems first in order to be competitive. If we do this, China, US, no other country will be our problem. We can be partners. We can have strengths and an open commercial uh, path that we can be more competitive than other countries. Mm -hmm. 
And the third pillar in order to boost our environment uh, uh, is infrastructure as a, a whole, which is extremely important, which China, as we mentioned, has a tremendous background. Um, and I see a extremely evolving in, in this front uh, uh, as well. Just, just to mention some data, uh, the, the, the official federal government plan uh, is to have railways representing 40% uh, of the transportation uh, uh, metrics system in Brazil by uh, 2030. Currently, roads represent over 50%, which is a, a way of transportation, which is, uh, uh, is not the more sustainable one. It's, considering uh, how big Brazil is. Exactly, considering how big Brazil is, it's crazy. Mm. Um, so infrastructure as a third pillar, it's, uh, uh, um, I'm talking about a, a like a three pillars that are equally important in my point of view. Reforms, uh, control of public expenditures, investments in infrastructure, sure. mainly in partnership with the private sector. So no, China is not the problem. <laughs> we gotta solve these issues first and then we can like uh, worry about the whole, what the whole world is doing. <laughs> right. Well, I guess another issue that it's um, facing Brazil right now is um, the toll COVID has taken on economy. So I guess a lot of us are concerned. And can you tell us about um, how the country is doing in terms of vaccination and if the economy is bouncing back from the lockdowns? Yeah, great question. I mean, COVID was a, a global crisis that uh, um, a, a tremendous problem, um, it, I guess, made uh, all of us very sad to say the least, uh, so many life lost. Mm. Yeah, it's it's very, very difficult situation. But um, aside of the inflation that the whole world is yeah. currently facing, and it's a, a phenomenon that exact, it's expected after a global crisis like that, mainly because the need of implementation of uh, liquidity policies by uh, federal governments are all over the world, uh, shortage of oil and high demand for food and raw materials. So this is a, a, a global scenario. Uh, but uh, uh, um, another key point to highlight domestically, uh, we've already passed uh, the USA in terms of total uh, vaccinated population with the first shot. Um, which in terms of uh, uh, public health uh, policy is extremely relevant. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of GDP... And I know a lot, uh, of, a lot of shots are coming from China. Yeah. A lot of shots are coming from China. Again, great partnership. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and um, uh, in terms of GDP, uh, in 2020, uh, we dropped 4%. Um, but if we compare to the Latin region, which dropped on average 8%, mm. it's, it's less, less bad, less point like this. And um, by 2021, uh, we are expected to grow by 5%. So mm. it's a, a recovery, a, a good, a positive recovery. Um, in the first semester of 2021, uh, we've created almost uh, 2 million formal jobs, which is also a very positive path. Um, 
of course, we do still have a high unemployment rate, uh, mainly generated by our domestic crisis that occurred, reached its top on 2014 to 2016. Uh, but we've been like generating uh, uh, um, jobs again, which is, is, is great to try to recover this scenario, which is still challenging. Um, and uh, yeah, we have a, a, a path of strength and recovery, uh, I can say. I mean, we can say, we always can see the glass half empty or half full. <laughs> I guess we, we have already too, too many people here domestically seeing the glass half empty. I tend to see the glass half full and to, to At least the, the worst is behind us. Yeah, yeah, to that. see the challenges as opportunities of development and learning the lessons that need mm -hmm. to be learned. And you mentioned unemployment, and I guess that's um, a particularly big problem for the young people in Brazil, not only during COVID, but maybe a few years before that. So what are, apart from unemployment, what are the major issues facing Brazilian youth nowadays? And do you think the BRI can be a solution to some of them? Uh, great question. Um, I think Brazil, uh, it's a emerging market economy. So um, as one, uh, we have characteristics of emerging developing economies, high income inequality, uh, problems in terms of uh, a need of investments in public policies as a whole, such as education, mm. for example, we still need to develop a lot on that. Uh, so those are all problems that uh, uh, impacts our population as a whole, and especially the youth, of course. Um, but apart uh, uh, from, from this scenario, again, seeing the, the glass half full, um, I see a great deal of evolution as we listed uh, in terms of generation of jobs, in terms of GDP growth, uh, in terms of vaccination rate, uh, in terms of the, the, um, the pattern of uh, um, partnerships between public and private sector, uh, which is important even primarily to generate those jobs. Uh, and this of course impacts the youth. Uh, so I also see a, a great deal of uh, appetite by the Congress of implementing the necessary reforms uh, based on technical decisions. And this is also important to benefit our population and the generations that are, are developing them, themselves. Um, I totally see that this is not a fast path. It's, it's not and it's not going to be, uh, but giving uh, the, the, the steps and having the, um, the, the, the agenda set is the, 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 the first step. If we don't have that, we don't have anything. And this is a, a the numbers shows that the scenario is better now than it, it was before. So uh, I guess uh, uh, um, a part of all the challenges, this is a positive message, especially to the, to the, to the youth. Um, considering the Belt and Road Initiative, I mean, it's a found uh, that some sources say that can be uh, of over 8 trillion US dollars. So 
of course, currently uh, is primarily concentrated in Asia or Eurasia, as, as you want to call it. But as we mentioned before, uh, we've encountered for uh, uh, almost 200 initiatives from, from China in, in Brazil, whether they were included in the Belt and Road Initiative formally or not. Um, so in terms of uh, uh, generating jobs, also uh, in terms of education, right. uh, China plays a very important role. Um, I can speak for myself. Of course. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was admitted uh, as a, a, a scholar uh, to a great master program, uh, which will give me a, a complete sense of the Chinese environment. I mean, in terms of economy, in terms of politics, uh, in terms of legislation, in terms of culture as a whole, including business culture. Um, so the Master of Contemporary Chinese Studies uh, that I'm currently attending in, at Raymond University in Silk Road School, uh, um, it's a unique, it's a unique opportunity. The, and the may discipline. I ask, how, how did you come across this opportunity? Oh, great question. <laughs> uh, I had a great mentor. Mm. Uh, uh, her name is Larissa Vakholz. And uh, she was a, a, a special advisor for, the, for Teresa Cristina, uh, which is uh, the, the Ministry of Agriculture in Brazil. Mm. And she introduced me to, to this opportunity. And then it was a long process in terms of uh, uh, selection process. And uh, I, got, I got it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm pretty happy with everything that I'm learning, the window that's opening. Um, so in terms of uh, China-Brazil relations and the youth, uh, this is also a, a very uh, rich opportunity as well. So mm -hmm. again, let's see the glass half full because it, it is definitely half full when it's go, gr growing. And, and we've also seen some um, announcements of educational exchanges between the twin cities of Recife and Guangzhou by the officials recently. So that's certainly some good developments. And I know you're not a um, big fan of football, but um, we've seen also seen that seen some um, cooperations between the Brazilian football clubs and the Chinese football clubs, which will send um, the Chinese teenagers to train in Brazil. And I think that's that's just a wonderful opportunity yeah. for them. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so, towards the end of our episode, do you have any general recommendations? or um, predictions on how the BRI is going to um, um, develop? Uh, I, I wouldn't be able to make any projection, uh, but of course, if we analyze the potential ahead of both countries, um, it's tremendous. So as we've been implemented so much uh, and so many initiatives throughout the years, um, I might assume that this path is going to continue evolving. Uh, I mean, uh, we just listed, for example, uh, the, the huge window of opportunities from this year and 2022, considering infrastructure projects, uh, which is the core, one of the core of China. So 
I might imagine there are relation, the relationship between both countries will continue to, to evolve uh, greatly. And will you encourage more Brazilian young people to learn about China or visit China? Of course, <laughs> I mean, it's a unique environment. Uh, uh, I just started class like two, two weeks ago and the amount of uh, uh, knowledge that I've acquired in these two weeks, it's like priceless, it's priceless. Um, I, I have my, my major in agriculture and my background is mostly related to strategic planning mm. in the agribusiness industry. I've passed it to different roles in my career, commercial, market intelligence, operations, advisory, and uh, uh, the, the knowledge uh, about the, not only China or Asia, but about the world that I'm being to acquire in this master, again, is priceless. Um, I see... I, I, I see a great deal of evolution for myself and I hope to, to, to contribute to this relationship between Brazil and China uh, in the future. Well, thanks again for coming to the, today, Anna, and uh, it's a pleasure talking to you. Take care. Well, thank you so much, Enzo, for inviting me and I hope we can see each other in Hong Kong or Suzhou. Certainly. <laughs> Goodbye.